You don't understand. We're about to have Mr. Aesthetics on the pod. He is the most jacked guy in Algeria, even though he explicitly said he's not. He is. And we are going to cover tendon strength, the insertions on your muscles, certain things you can do to improve your program. He has a coaching offer himself. And then we just go into diet and specific, very specific things he did to become as aesthetic as he's become. Check him out on Instagram. That's where he's most active. All right, let's go. What's up, Abderrahman? Yes, I am ready. Abderrahman, how are you? Yeah, what's up? How are you? You're like pronouncing the best pronunciation of my name yet. Let's go. From a foreign man. <laughs> Let's go. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm very excited for this meeting. Yeah, man. Mr. Aesthetics. Dude, we've been following each other for a while now, and it's it's been really nice, like, having a supportive community, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Like, at least, like, if you cannot have it, like, in real life, at, like, having it online is fantastic, you know? It's very, very helpful around you. Exactly. Exactly. So, how long has been your fitness journey, and how long have you have a coaching offer? Before my fitness journey... I started doing sports since the age of four. Like, since I was four years old, my dad put me, like, in a judo class. And then, like, from there to karate, to soccer, basketball, swimming. I did pretty much everything. And then in 2014, 1st of January 2014, I started doing calisthenics. I saw, like, a dude that was, his name was Paul. He was American, Paul Rudomitkin. He was Russian. Uh-huh. And I really liked his physique, so started following his stuff. So that's when my fitness journey started. It was in 2014. And summer 2016, it was like the time when Jeff Side, uh, Lazar Angelov, our brothers, you know, yeah. the whole of uh, Simeon Panda, everyone exploded like team. So that was the time I, I switched to like weightlifting and bodybuilding. And from then, like, Till now, I've been training, like, the whole time. You see you do active things, but then the weight training part of it, that, was that, did you have, like, a certain physique, and then when you did weight training, did you just completely change? Well, um, when I, like, I was skinny. I was never too skinny, like, I was kind of normal, if you can say that. But, like, when I started training, my, like, my body changed a lot. You know, like the shape of, like even the shape of the muscles, like the insertions, mm-hmm. like when they, when the muscles got full, it changed my physique and it become became much more aesthetic, you know? So yeah, it really changed and I'm loving it. Yeah, I was going to be, I was curious because I have a lot of friends who've only stuck with calisthenics and they've got like good physiques. They look like they filled out, but um, I feel like yeah. even more. And dude, that's so interesting. You say the insertions. Um, I have really long arms, like really long arms, and so like I understand like there's not yeah. much muscle in the wrists, but the insertions here and like my lats, the insertions are pretty high too. I I used to be like oh like excuse mindset oh like I'll never like fill out there I'll never fill out there, but you can still get no matter what your insertions are, you can get a really full physique anyways. Yeah. Because, like, the length of your tendons and your explosibility or uh, force production power, 
you know, those are more important, like whether you have like long or short. But when it comes to like physique, no matter what insertions you have, you can still get big and you can still like look full and good. No matter if you have long or short insertion. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. About calisthenics. When we talk about calisthenics, the problem with that is that you cannot, um, it, it's hard for you to do progressive overload. You know, that's, mm. that's the problem with calisthenics. Now it's became easier, like weighted stuff. But the difference between calisthenics and weightlifting, especially is that in weightlifting, you can simply progress like from lighter to heavier dumbbells and like, it's small steps, but in calisthenics, you're mostly stuck with your body weight. Mm -hmm. So unless you start adding progress, that becomes a problem. Gotcha, gotcha. And so for your program, because you you have a coaching offer, is it like 50-50 calisthenics weight training or like how is it structured usually? Or is it client by client? My programs for my clients, yeah, they are um, almost 99% weightlifting because especially most of my clients are like lifestyle clients they are not like most of them like either uh, adult married people or maybe young kids or women like lifestyle people they're not like athletes you know yeah. the majority of them so uh, calisthenics is like a really advanced for them you know they can start doing it from the beginning if they have to lose weight or like gain certain like some strength to do it so it's mostly um, weightlifting until they are able to do some bodyweight exercises like pull-ups, dips, stuff like that. Then I can incorporate them if they want to, you know, because some of them can't even like when they start, they can't even do like regular push-ups. Even push-ups are advanced for them, you know. So we start with presses, dumbbell presses, bench press machines, and then we can progress to push-ups and bodyweight. Nice. Okay. I'm going to give you a muscle and then you tell me, in your opinion, the best exercise for hypertrophy for that muscle. Because I'm curious. Because like, you've, you've yeah. seen really good results and you've, you're coaching people. Chest. Like, what would you suggest the best exercise for chest growth? Well, uh, before I tell you the best uh, exercise, I will tell you my three um how can i say characteristics or three rules uh -huh. to picking the best exercise okay. so that you people can what you choose perfect the first is alignment how aligned the exercise path is with the muscle with the muscle fibers you know mm. the more aligned the exercise path is with the muscle fibers we're trying to target the more uh, mechanical tension or overall tension we're putting on that muscle and the better it grows you know that's the first thing okay the second thing is stability stability you have during an exercise the more force production you can like the more for the more force you can produce you know because that's a simple physical rule if you don't have stability you cannot produce force you need it so the more you have it the more force you can produce and this the third thing is um resistance profile and what it means basically is uh, when is the exercise hard and when it is easy. Like when, or in another way, when do we have the most tension on the muscle? And like in which phase of the exercise we have most tension? The muscle have like three states, lengthened state, middle state, and shortened state. Mm -hmm. So we tend to have 
most hypertrophic effect on the muscles when we overload them and when we make the most tension on them when they are lengthened, when they are kind of stressed. Yeah. So uh, to give an example of this, on the chest muscles, one of the best exercises you can have is the inclined dumbbell press. The inclined dumbbell press is very aligned with the clavicular chest fibers. So it's going to give you one of the best ROIs on your effort. From a resistance profile standpoint, it's heaviest when you are stretched down here. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you do quarter reps, do as many as you want. But when, when the chest fibers lengthen, when they are stressed, it's harder, you know, yeah. when they are lengthened. So resistance profile wise, it's quite good. The only kind of issue is the um, stability because it's you have to stabilize the waist. You're not like a Smith machine, for example, or a hammer press, for example, because those are more stable, but they tend to be less or more aligned with the muscle. But when you are a little advanced in your training or like just when you get used to the, the exercise, stability is no longer an issue. So incline double press is one of the best exercises for chest. Also, hammer presses, hammer strength, they are very good at making presses, chest presses, machines, one of the best. Flies, fly variations, they are very, very good, especially like there is the pec deck or um, the simple flies. And dips, dips are very, very underrated when it comes to chest development. They are like one of the best for a lower chest, one of the best exercises and people tend to kind of neglect them for a reason. They like work dips for their triceps, but they don't use it as much for chest. But in reality, it's a very chest dominant exercise, especially if you like incline yourself, like if you tilt yourself forward, it becomes way more chest dominant. So for me, these are the best exercises for chest. Gotcha. Yeah, that that last part is very curious because I have been doing weighted dips and I always feel it in my triceps and I wasn't sure why I wasn't feeling my chest as much. And so like leaning forward, I think I was fighting leaning forward because I felt like I would like die, like like fall forward. But uh, leaning forward, that makes anatomical sense. Yeah. Yeah, because when you lean forward, it's like you're doing this movement. It's like you're you're aligning yourself and the movement with the lower fibers of the chest you know you're aligning them together so automatically you would have more uh, involvement and more recruitment of the chest muscles it's like a decline press basically exactly it's like decline press exactly gotcha you become in yeah yeah and the smith machine man like I like the Smith machine. I don't know why it gets such a bad rap, especially if your lo- if your job, if your goal is keeping tension on the muscle. You don't want to worry about stability if your if your aim is just like make really slow eccentric gains. You know, maybe the but you, the only thing like you're right for bench press and for someone like me who has really long arms, switching to dumbbells has done the most because I can go all the way past here, like bring my elbows all the way behind my body. Whereas with uh, barbells, I can't really feel the stretch, you know? Yes, exactly. The thing with dumbbells is that they align better. 
because when you you are with the barbell, you're stuck like this in a pronated grip. Right. You know, you can't really bend it over. But the chest fibers tend to work better when they are a little bit, when your arm is a little bit lower and not here, like here better. Okay. So when you're using barbells, you have better alignment, so you can feel your chest fibers way better because. It's very simple. The more aligned the exercise is with the fibers, the more those fibers are able to actually work. Because imagine if like they are not aligned, it would be hard for them to be recruited or work. It's uh, it's so it's just from physics or biomechanics or mm-hmm. biomechanics, a very simple principle. So um, yeah, but Smith machine is very good. Gym bros tend to, this is funny, like gym bros tend to hate on the Smith machine just because um, they are mental, um, it's not mental, it's emotional, they're emotionally attached to barbell, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an emotional attachment. But in reality, Smith machine and uh, presses like machines are very good. Actually, they are quite good, but they are sometimes better or like more efficient than barbells and dumbbells in some cases. People tend to hate on them just because they are emotionally attached to free weights, but free weights are not always the best when it comes to uh, hypertrophy or even functionality. Like uh, Free weights are not necessarily more functional than machines. It's just an idea that people have. Yeah, I didn't really... When, when did you start weightlifting? I started weightlifting at 14, and my goal was bench press. First thing, first ever free weight I touched was bench press immediately. What about you? The first time I started training weightlifting was summer 2016. That's when I started weightlifting. And uh, again, uh, I saw Jeff side. He was the most popular fitness like uh, icon back in the time. I was like, I want to have his physique. So basically I would check his workouts and then do them. And so that was the first time I did weightlifting and I did not really know what I was doing. I was doing these two-hour, three-hour workouts, drop sets, like in every set I do a drop set, super set, like the whole thing, you know, like very, very, very intense workouts because I used to follow bodybuilders and people like Rich Piana and uh, C.T. Fletcher, Bradley Martin, you know, and all the crazy stuff they did. So I thought to get a physique like theirs or close, I need to do that. But then slowly as like, it was like more uh, like they started fitness was more um, popular and more people like started to do it more scientifically studies are becoming more and more like um, available to people there's more information on the internet about fitness i started learning more and trying to in if we can say old school and a new school you know to have to have my balance in the two yeah yeah, and oh, yeah. as a as a young consumer, if you're new to this, you don't understand how many of these public figures are on gear. So they like work out all the they can work out all the time, and their recovery is almost immediate. So they just build muscle, build muscle, build muscle. So it's very uh, confusing. <laughs> I I, uh, I saw the most gains when I switched from going five days a week to the gym to um, three. I just got a lot of recovery in between, but that that's per, that's personally to me, as my uh, my discovery. What's really cool is that you always discover what works for you. Yeah, exactly. Like the thing with with everything, it's not just with fitness. With everything, it's very individual. People think there is this 
work for everyone plan, like standard plan that works with everyone. Sure, there are some um, principles of like hypertrophy and recovery that are applied to everyone, but everyone has his own specific way. Some people tend to feel better when they do five times, six times a week. Some people yeah. like me and you tend to recover better with three, four times a week uh, working out. Some people like more intense sets with low volume and some people like high volume with lower intensity. So it depends on each individual. Like you cannot uh, standardize, give the same plan to everyone or the, use the same approach with everyone. You got to test and see what works best for you personally. There is a sweet spot between intensity and volume. The more intense your workouts are, the less volume you're going to have to do because you're going to get tired. Your nervous system is going to get tired and vice versa. The more volume you use, the less intensity you're going to put into the sets and workouts to be able to recover. And you just need to try and see what works the best for you. Right. So, um, yeah. Right, exactly. And finding that. So we've, we've been talking about muscle gain so far. And I saw a really good post you posted recently about weight loss, like fat loss mostly, and how it's not linear. And people expect it to be a linear journey. But then you mentioned things that people don't think about, like water retention yeah. and all this stuff. Like, Could you go into that idea of weight loss not always being linear? Okay, so when people start their weight loss journey, they think it's just lose, 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 like go from point A to point B in a linear way. When in reality, whether we're talking from a bio biological standpoint or uh, environment, uh, lifestyle, it's not the case, you know, because if we, if let's say you have the perfect plan, your body will sometimes have inflammation due to training. Sometimes when you switch foods and have like more water retention, uh, more substances that hold water in your body, like salts, creatine, stuff like that, they will hold more water in your body. And so you would think that you're not losing weight. And sometimes when, let's talk about this, sometimes when the fat cells are emptied from the fat, their place gets replaced by water, mm -hmm. you know? The water would still be there and the weight would not be um, like the, your weight would be stable. You would think you're not losing weight. But if you hold on long enough for that water to be flushed out of the empty fat cells, you would drastically, it would be like your weight would be stable. Then all of a sudden you would lose two pounds in a day or like three pounds in a day. So you just got to really, when you, whether you're counting your calories or not, you just got to stay really patient before you change anything. When you're losing weight, it's smart to count your calories just for that period so that you know your body, you get more in touch with your body. And once you like get to know how your body reacts to certain foods, the quantities and everything, you can stop counting calories and you can just go, you know, water retention in our body keeps us from having that linear weight loss. Changes in food, do, do that as well. Change, when you change your sleep, like when your sleep schedule changes, mm -hmm. what your body changes as well. So that will impact your weight. It won't keep you from losing weight, but it will just the number on the scale. No, that's all. 
And for women, if there are any women watching us, their menstrual cycle affects them a lot. You know, inflammation, bloating, digestion, hormones, you know, all of those play a big role in fat loss. And especially, especially like it's water retention, because if you're eating in a caloric deficit, you're not losing weight. It's one of two things. It's either A, you're not in a caloric deficit and you're eating more than you think, mm -hmm. or B, it's just water retention here and you just need to wait for it to go away, you know? Whatever reason caused that um, have a huge impact on water retention in the body. So if you suddenly get stressed or like get bad whatever or get stressed from work or life, that can also impact the weight on the scale. So my advice for people not focus on the number on the scale but focus on the size and also how your clothes fit like larger they start feeling larger on you and you're losing weight so that's my advice for people that's that's a good one yeah because the number is doesn't tell you the full story the number on the scale yeah the number is there to help you lose weight but it's but it does not determine if you'll weight or not and one more thing uh, I forgot to mention is if you are training, if you are weightlifting in the same time, you know, so you might be gaining muscle and losing fat at the same time. So your body will change, but the number on the scale will not. Because if let's say you lose a pound of fat and you gain a pound of muscle, the net difference on the scale would be zero. The scale wouldn't move, but your body has changed a lot, you know. So that's why you should not really rely on the scale, but just have it as an extra data for your weight loss. And that's it. And focus more on like measurements and the visual um, and the visual. So, yeah, that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, that's so true. And I hope people really got that message because, um, yeah, it's, it's way more than just the number. You want to understand the things behind the number. Dude, with your expertise in working with people, I... I understand the plateaus are a natural part, like weight plateaus. You just explained it beautifully. But um, with your experience, have you seen typically how long should someone maintain what they're doing to break a plateau? How long does that usually last? Let's say it's a calorie deficit, right? Someone's more focused on losing fat, more losing weight. How long should they maintain their program until they see that drop, usually? Yeah. Usually, usually it's from three to up to 10 days. Most people would have like that um, drastic drop in weight within the third or fourth day, but sometimes it can go up to the 10th day. So like at least you should man maintain the same amount of food, the calories you're eating or increase uh, the activity. You can maybe add steps. People should wait at least 10 days before they change anything in their diet or their training. So because most people usually uh, lose that water weight within the third, third or fourth day. But um, you, some people in some cases, like would still hold on to that water until like 10 days after that. So you should at least wait for a week, let's say, or 10 days before you change your diet or maybe add in some cardio or some steps. So yeah, because steps are like walking is very important in weight loss mm -hmm. because it does not require effort and yet it burns a lot of calories, you know? 
Yeah, it does, dude. I, so, yeah. I walking every day has been a staple for me for years. I love it. It's especially after eating, you know, it helps with digestion too. You get some nature in. I love it, man. Yeah, it's great. Walking is one of the most underrated exercises ever. Yeah. Like people think of um, cardio of like different machines or workouts or and they are good. They're, I'm not saying they're not, but walking is underrated. If you can get anywhere from eight, 10K steps per day, that would be awesome. That would help your fat loss tremendously. It would help your fat loss, digestion. It would uh, relieve stress. Uh, make you sleep better, improve your sleep. It has like improved blood flow, like blood circulation, would help you a ton in your life, whether it's health or weight loss. So uh, yeah, people should walk more during the day. Tell me about your journey, specifically about maybe one or like two things that you did for your routine, like something that you've done every day since you implemented it that just completely changed your physique? Okay, so um, two things that changed my physique. Well, the first one is uh, the progressive overload principle. It's very simple and it's been very used and limit, like I can say it's been overused um, in the last few months in the fitness industry. But um, implementing that, in your training routine will like was a game changer for me and how i do it is simply i track my workouts i write how many reps i did how with what weight i did that in each exercise for example incline dumbbell press let's say i i did three sets of 12 reps with 90 pound dumbbells so when i reach that i will like add five pounds you know and automatically it's heavier. So I would be able maybe to do six or eight reps with a new weight with like 95 uh, pound dumbbells. And I would do that over and over and over until I can get three sets of 12 reps, you know? Right. And then when I get to that upper limit or with the upper limit of the rep range, I increase the weight and so on and so on and so on. So tracking my, um, like logging my sets and reps well, like did a great, great, great difference in my physique. And I've noticed a great change because you have, um, how can I say, you have a clear um, understanding of your, of your progress. But if you don't track your progress, sometimes you would use this weight, sometimes that weight, sometimes you would push harder, sometimes you go easy on yourself. So you have no clear point of where you are going or where you were. So I would recommend for people to track their progress and whether it's on notes in their phones or maybe get a logbook. Some people prefer logbooks. Some people can just do it on their notes in their phone. So that's very interesting if you want to really uh, get that hypertrophy because you could see your progress clearly and track it like, I started here and I progressed to this weight. So that's one thing. Second thing is uh, nutrition. Nutrition is very important. Nutrition, let's say nutrition and sleep because they are both part of recovery. The more you optimize your recovery, the better muscle gain you would have. So not only, let's say macros, all people know that you should eat protein and everything, but I believe um, 
the quality of proteins matter. Because if you get proteins from, um, let's say, eggs or steak or, you know, like bioavailable protein, good sources of protein, it would be very different from getting them from, let's say, vegan sources or um, maybe some uh, types of like supplements or whey protein. It would be different, you know. Mm -hmm. So opting for a high quality would change your physique because especially if we're talking about animal proteins like eggs and meat and like maybe fish, maybe even like good quality chicken, not only it has protein, but it has also enzymes, vitamins, minerals that will aid the muscle, like uh, muscle building um, in your body because our bodies are not just made from bone and flesh and skin. There is, there are a lot of things that go into that hormones and enzymes, you know, so Optimizing your health would automatically optimize your physique. So the better quality of nutrients you'd eat, the better it would reflect on your physique and the more your muscle building would be enhanced. And sleep as well. Like, it's part of recovery. So the, the better quality of sleep you have, the more recovered you are, the more energy you have for your workouts, and the more muscle you will build because... Literally, that's when muscle are uh, built. It's mostly when you're asleep, when you're recovering. It's when growth hormone is at its peak. Testosterone is peaking, you know? So that's when the real muscle building happens. So the more you optimize your sleep, the better it is. So these two are the most important, I think, for me. The most important things that would change your physique. That's so good. It took me years to realize that's when you actually build muscles, when you're sleeping. It's not like, oh, let's train all day and then not sleep at all. You're sacrificing gains. Exactly. You're leaving a lot on the table. When people ask me for like the secret or magic pill or whatever uh, for health or weight loss or muscle gain or anything, I would say sleep. I've, I've seen this um, in, on social media once. It was like sleep is the magic pill that everybody is looking for because it literally contributes in everything. Muscle building, fat loss, cognitive functions, health, immunity, testosterone, like anything you want to improve, you can improve it with sleep. Like if you get a better quality sleep, that thing would be improved no matter what it is. So it's the magic pill that everybody's looking for. So yeah. Yeah, it's a free steroid. It's a free, like, it's everything you're looking for. It's, it's the best enhancement drug you could ever ask for and it's free. Exactly, exactly. That's it. That's sleep. Dude, you were talking about progressive overload, and I'm actually glad that you're a coach and you have experience with this. I have, I'm doing a program where it, uh, it's asking me to do dumbbell skull crushers, like three sets, and it's relatively heavy. So it's a set of four reps, set of six reps, and set of eight reps. It's like a reverse Whoa. stick. Yeah, it's, it's actually uh, the Kino body, you know, Greg O'Gallagher? Yeah. So yeah, that's that's one of them. And so I have been progressively overloading over eight weeks and I finally got up to like 40 pound dumbbells. I'm doing it for six reps, good form, everything's good. Now, sorry, for four reps, right? And then I, I, I managed to be able to do that for six, but when I get the 45s to get the four, I can't like do it with clean form. I do one, two, and just completely like it's not even close so what do you do 
if you want to progressively overload on a exercise with dumbbells and they only jump from like five pounds to five pounds and that's like too much for a certain muscle on one arm what do you do to progressively overload like with the weight you can you told me you can do like good six reps with the 40 the 40 pound dumbbells i would suggest you work on getting more reps before you increase the weight mm. you know okay because if you can get more reps it means you're stronger so when you jump to the next weight the um how can i say the difference would be easier on you you'd be stronger to get that so simply do more reps with the lighter weight until you find yourself able to get uh, to the reps you want. And um, if, we, if I can say something about the, the skull crushers is that I don't necessarily recommend doing them with really um, heavy weights, like with low reps, because they tend to be a little, um, they put a little too much tension on your elbows. Mm. So when it comes to skull crushers, I would prefer like a rep rate of 8 to 15, you know? And there's, there's nothing wrong. Like if you, if you don't feel any pain or anything on your elbow, you can go ahead. But I've noticed uh, during my career that a lot of people tend to uh, struggle and have like some kind of pain on their elbows when they do skull crushers with heavier weight. So a rep range of 8 to 15 would be better. And would, it would also help you to progress easier. So when you jump, when let's say like you're doing 15 reps with certain weight, when you jump next weight, even if it's five pounds heavier, you like go down to maybe 10 reps, which is still like quite good, you know? Yeah. So you would feel the jump as much as when you're doing, like you would not lose many reps compared to doing heavy sets with lower uh, reps, like four, six reps, you know? So that's my advice to anyone who wants to progress that. Gotcha, gotcha. So I got to go outside the program because like, I was like, oh, I need to stick to either like four or six or eight reps and I can't. I'm like in between these two numbers. I don't know how to stick within the script. So you're saying, say, fuck it, get it, get the 40s and like do it until you can do it like 12 times and then maybe you can like advance and then go outside. The I have an example I give to people, Yeah. but you drive manual or only automatic. Yeah, I drive a manual, stick shift. Yeah, so let's say like when you're using, like you, let's say we, you're in second gear and you want to go to third. Yeah. What you're going to do, you're going to increase the RPMs before you go to third. Yeah. You know, and I, in my like example, RPMs are repetitions and speeds or gears are weight. So before you switch weights, you got to bump up the RPMs way like, quite high so that when you switch speeds when you shift gears you can still go on so that's the same analogy i use with uh reps if you want to jump to another weight you gotta first do like enough reps for you to jump to the next weight so if you can't jump to the weight to the next weight you just gotta go back to the, the lighter weight do more reps then jump to the next weight so that's the analogy i give to people to understand it that's the I hope best, you got dude. That's such a good one. That's such a great analogy. Like that's that it works like magic with like especially male um, people because usually um, women in like usual women prefer to drive uh, automatic because it's line of pain in the ass. Yeah. But most people, yeah, most people in Algeria drive manual cars. So 
it's easier to explain it that way. Like bump the RPM before you you like shift speeds. Yeah. But yeah. That's that's great, dude. I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say my my boy Abdurrahman, like he he's got this analogy. You need to hear. Boom. So <laughs> different muscles. So there's fast twitch muscle fibers, which are like your like power explosive muscle fibers, type one, I believe. And then there's the other. Is it type two? Type two, yeah. Type okay. two. Type two. Type one is like a slow twitch when it like responds more to um, like more repetitions, like endurance and stuff. Yeah. So are there muscle groups that have more of a proportion of fast twitch versus low twitch and meaning should we train our muscle groups differently from each other? Yes. Well, example, if we take the shoulder muscles, they are more type one. So they, they respond better to uh, higher reps, you know, those and calves as well. But um, the rest of the majority of muscles like your biceps or quads, back, traps most of them are kind of 50 50 or maybe dominant in type 2 so you might use um, heavier weights with lower sets but my approach is go heavier like i really work with um, muscle fiber types even if they're important and can give you an insight but i work on the nature of the exercise if it's a, um, a compound movement like bench presses different types of presses, squats, deadlifts, you, I would suggest to go on heavier weight with less repetitions. And if you're doing some kind of isolation movements, like uh, lateral raises, maybe tricep extensions or like uh, leg extensions, you know, leg curls, those I would suggest to use lighter weights and more, um, uh, more reps, you know, because it's better for your joints because it's hard like to it may, you're like you you may be like putting too much stress of your on your joints if you put too much load in isolation movements so it's better for them and yeah that's it that that's what i use and it's overall better when it comes to hypertrophy you know because uh, for hypertrophy there are like different types of stresses or like tensions you can put on the muscle they are the mechanical tension, which is basically the weight you're putting on the muscle. And there is like the second one, which is um, metabolic stress. Which it means like how much blood you can get to the muscle, you know, like the pump. Yeah. But um, yeah, so mechanical stress has the best and mo the biggest uh, hypertrophic effect. But that doesn't mean that we should neglect the um, metabolic one. So... If you do like heavier uh, weights with lower reps on your presses and compound movements, so you would get the mechanical tension from that. And then you would get some kind of uh, metabolic uh, press from the high rep, uh, high reps, low weight you do on isolation movements. So that's my philosophy. And that's what I've seen works on most people, you know, with the people I've coached and me included. Okay, that's yeah. good to keep all those elements somewhat in balance. Go heavy, go light. But uh, can you change the nature of a muscle though? Like say you are born with like 50-50 composition, type two, type one. If you train a certain way, like you will develop more of that fiber? Yeah, well, I've seen some studies that say exactly that. It would all depend on the type of activities you do. 
um, I've seen a study that said if you are like, let's say that your quads are 50-50, 50 slow twitch, 50 fast twitch. So if you train them with heavier weights and all of that, some of the type 1 muscle fibers will switch and turn into type 2 and get bigger, you know? Okay. And uh, they've also noticed the reverse thing on marathon athletes like people that do long distance marathons and run for long distances they've kind of seen the um opposite effect they've seen like uh muscle fibers of type 2 that like switched and became type 1 to help them more with their uh exercise so it all depends on the nature of exercise you're doing so if you're more oriented into resistance training sprints weightlifting calisthenics you would tend to have more type 2 muscle fibers. And if you're like an endurance training, you do cycling, running, uh, marathons, and all of that, you would tend to have maybe more of the type 1. So it all depends on your activity. Gotcha, gotcha. Earlier in the episode, we were talking about tendons and insertions. Is there tendon, do you develop tendon strength with a certain protocol? Is tendon... Is training tendons even a, a priority? I ask that because I, you, you remember my rings, the gymnastics rings? Yes. I struggled so hard the first couple months because I didn't have any, I didn't know that stabilizing muscles existed, like in your joints. I didn't know what, what that was. Just holding it, I was shaking terribly. And overall, I developed that. But then also there's tendon work at play. And I didn't know that I was also training tendons. And then could you, you go into like maybe tendons and then also what were you saying about insertions? So um, the, the thing about tendons is that they don't have a direct source of blood. Unlike muscles, muscles have uh, blood vessels that go right into them, that feed them with the oxygen and nutrients they need. But tendons don't have that, you know? Mm. So the only way that tendons get nutrients is from muscles. So it's good to do there are there are a few exercises that we just get blood to the articulation like if you do high rep of um like high reps in, let's say for example if you want to get blood to your knee articulation and tendons doing stuff like isometric holds mm. whether it's squats or cc squats or doing um uh one of the exercises i really like is reverse sled push you know yeah with, if you see, you know that. Like, or walking backwards, uphill, or in the treadmill, if you incline the treadmill, uh, reverse. Or if you do a really lightweight on the leg extension and do that a lot to get some blood, it will help get blood to that part of your body. And it will help get blood to your tendons and ligaments and articulations overall. And that would help uh, strengthen them. And... Another thing that helps strengthen your tendons is explosive work, like jumping and all of that. They help the elasticity because, and that type of work is uh, quite needed when you're doing uh, weightlifting. Because if you only do like controlled, uh, like reps and everything, that's good for your um, muscles. But your tendons will have a little hard time to catch on, you know? So from time to time, it's good if you like go outside, run, do some pull-ups, like just have fun, you know? 
gotcha. it's good to incorporate some some type like let's say soccer basketball uh, sprints jumping you know if you incorporate some sort of explosive activity or like aerobic activity it would help your like overall tendons have more blood run to them and help them strengthen also um overall strength training also helps your tendons because it kind of helps but not as much you know because when you get blood to your muscles it will automatically send some to your tendons but on the other side you need to if you try you if you train with higher intensity you need to take breaks from time to time like let's yeah. say every eight week or like eight 12 weeks depending on you and your level in, in fitness like the more advanced you are maybe the more frequent you need to take those breaks to let your tendons recover you know like to give them a little rest so overall that's what what it's about when it comes to tendon like health gotcha i, I like that you say uh, have fun with it plyometrics is fun jumping around being explosive they used to do that like if you see arnold they used to lift like girls run on the beach have fun with their friends they used to do that just not in the like the picture we have in mind but they used to have fun when they they training you know with their training also when it comes to tendons uh, have like supplementing with um, collagen or like having uh, bone broth you know bone broth is very rich in collagen you know eating collagen rich foods helps um, your tendons a lot because it's they are pretty much made up of that, you know, yeah. of collagen. And there are also um, other synthesis like um, uh, chondroitin and glucosamine, those okay. two. We usually find these in um, shell, um, like shellfish, uh -huh. for example. Yeah, any type of seafood that, that, that has a shell, you know. Okay. But if you, like, don't necessarily like those or don't, they're not accessible to you, you can supplement with those because those are just basically the um, building blocks of tendons and ligaments and like articulations. So having those in your diet would really help. So um, yeah, oh, that's really good to know. Yeah, I, I definitely love to. I mean, I'm not 100% subscriber to all supplementation, but I think you should get most of your supplements and your uh, your, your nutrients from your food, but. Every time I hear someone say something like that, I'm like, oh, I gotta go buy that now. Let's go. The reason, the reason why I, I, I encourage people to have supplements is because in Algeria, it's um, difficult for people, for most people to have all their nutrients. Um, they get, get all their nutrients from food because um, for people that don't know Algeria, Algeria is a third world country where the average salary is like $250. You know, a month. Wow. That's, yeah, exactly. It's so you can't like you can't be able to eat meat, red meat every day, and like have like what enough fruits and every day, and I don't know oysters maybe or like you can't get quality stuff every day. You know, that's why I encourage my local clients to get supplements because they can get the benefit at a lower cost, you know, but that just for my, uh, for local people. But I'm a big, big advocate of like 
getting most of your nutrients from your diet. If you can do that, go ahead. Like that's the best way to get it. But if not, for whatever reason, then supplementation would be good. Supplementation is never the priority, but it's like one of, let's say if it's a second or third option, you know, it's never the first option. I would never recommend supplementation the first option. I would always tell people to get their nutrients or macros from real food, from fresh, high-quality food. But if they can't get those, then supplementation would be better than not having those uh, nutrients, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Top three supplements. What would you recommend then? Top three supplements. Well, this is a tricky one because it would... It's very individual, you know, because the top supplements for you would be like the le- the thing you have the least. Maybe I would say creatine because we don't have it like much in food. It exists in like bread meat, but once it's cooked, it's like um, it's less available in meat. So that may be the top one be simply because it's very... Uh, challenging to get it from uh, real food and it has many benefits whether it comes to testosterone uh, free testosterone levels uh, like cognitive function because what it does it helps generate the atp inside the cells because our cells work uh, with uh, the energy form of atp and when atp becomes um, uh, depleted that phosphor um, molecule the creatine is what helps restore it. So it basically helps every cell in your body. And also it, it has been found to help like cognitive stuff. And of course, uh, muscle building, you would have more uh, hydration. It's good for hydration. So I would say that that's a supplement. Everybody can benefit whether you work out or not, whether you're a male or female, young or old, everyone can benefit from creatine. But the rest of supplements... I would say it's individuals. You need to get your blood test done and see what uh, deficiencies you have. I, one of the common deficiencies uh, I found in most people or like most people have are is magnesium for some reason. I don't know exactly why, but a lot of people have low levels of magnesium in their body. So having some sort of a magnesium like magnesium citrate or this glycinate that's one of my favorite types of uh, magnesium would be beneficial. So that may be the like my second best uh, supplement. And yeah, the third one I w- I don't really have the third one because again it's very individualized. So do your blood test, see what you're lacking, and that would be the best supplement for you. You know, if you don't have enough vitamin D, you might go out more in the sun, try to go out more in the sun and get more vitamin D. If you have a low zinc level, you might like have some oysters or supplement with zinc or whatever works on you. you know, if you have like boron and try to eat more grapes or like maybe supplement it or like fix if you have any problems in your gut, like fix, fix problems in your gut, have better digestion, you know, so that's my, my, my take on it. Well, or maybe I can put a third one. I found the third, yeah, I found the third best supplement. <laughs> or actually, best supplements. And we talked about it before. It's sleep. Boom. That's the best supplement. Boom. <laughs> Let's go. 
forget about that. That's sleep. <laughs> get quality sleep. So yeah. Perfect, dude. <laughs> nice. Are you the most jack guy in your neighborhood, man? Like, what is the the bodybuilding culture like in Algeria? I'm curious. Um, it has like recently it's it became uh, very popular and it developed a lot through Instagram and TikTok and like YouTube and all the fitness guys out there. And it makes me happy, you know, to see more, uh, especially when I see like young teenagers and stuff getting into working out. Yeah. Even if not like if they are buying into like the pre-workout and like caffeine over caffeine stuff but it would it's still better than taking drugs or you know or like smoking or whatever you know so um lately it's been getting more and more popular which is good but for most people i would say uh, they are i would not say it's as advanced as it is in like europe or america especially america america like most people are very jacked a lot of people take steroids, you know, here it's like m- most people have average physiques, you know, like, so it's easy for you to be the best looking guy in the gym, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So in, for me, I would not say I'm the biggest because I'm definitely not. There are some friends of mine or people in my gym that are bigger than me, but I would say that I am one of the most aesthetic people, whether it's in like, the whole fitness, Algerian fitness industry, I saw. And I take pride in that. That has been my pseudo name since a long time ago, Aesthetics. So, um, yeah, that's what I that what I would say about myself. So, But the fitness industry in Algeria is, again, it's starting to get more popular. People are becoming more aware about macros and, uh, like, progressive overload, um, caloric deficit, caloric surplus, you know, exercise selection. So... It's starting to be more and more advanced compared to what it was a few years ago or when I started. So, um, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, Mr. Aesthetics, you got to keep up with the name. <laughs> Competition is like getting more and more hard. So, yeah, I got to keep on my game. You just recommend them. Okay. Hey, just recommend them. Hey, you guys should drink canola oil. It's a really good supplement. Go ahead and drink canola oil. And then you become Mr. Aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's one of the like just the last few years, you know, when I started to follow like similar accounts, you know, based accounts, if I can say, <laughs> and starting to look at, like the effect of seed oils and how bad they are for uh, for you, you know. So in the like, it became recently popular or like um, in social media. So let's say just um, during lockdown or after lockdown, it it was in that period that I started to get. Like, I, I think I followed you around that time, like, yeah. just after lockdown and similar accounts. So he started to read more and see the effects and omega-6 fatty acids and, like, how they make canola or sunflower oil and how uh, inflammatory they are, like, toxins. And then I, like, first time I really thought about cutting um, uh, seed oils was when I heard that they keep you from, they are what causes... Uh, some, you know, and I'm a white dude, so I used to be burned as hell <laughs> when I was, you know, when I go to the beach. It was a nightmare. Like you, you could literally, it was nothing. To, let's try that. So I stopped seed oils almost completely because um, it's very tricky to stop them at 100 percent. But like I would say, 95 percent, I cut out seed oils. 95 percent, almost. 
completely. I do my best to not eat them at all. And I was not getting burned anymore. And it like, it blew my mind. Like, how is that possible? You know? And then I realized how big an effect, uh, how harmful seed oils are. So from that point, I was like, fuck them. I'm not getting near those again. It's wild because your skin is your largest organ and it too can be inflamed. You can get inflammation, whether that's acne, whether that's like severe reactions to photons, to, to the sun. And if you just cut out seed oils, it's insane how much more you can absorb the sun, how much you can feel it. You synthesize light into vitamin D. I, I, I don't think people understand how cool that is. You're eating sun, dude. <laughs> it's yeah. so cool. I like a plant. Yeah. All right. Mm. Mr. Aesthetics, dude, I really enjoyed our conversation. I think we went into a lot of topics, man. I think people have a good idea of your expertise on these things, how, how you've gotten jacked, they got a good sense of your journey. How can people get in touch with you if they want to maybe work with you, do something with uh, your program? If, you, if anyone wants to work with me, they can just uh, send me a DM on my Instagram, at uh, uh, lower score Nasri. You can, like, you can maybe put it somewhere. So uh, if anyone wants to work or if they have any more questions about like training or nutrition, they're more than welcome to come and like ask their questions, you know, like if you have any questions or if uh, anyone wants more explanation about the things we talked about, they are more than welcome to uh, DM me and ask me about whatever they want. So yeah, that's, that's that. We've talked about many things. Uh, today and I really enjoyed the conversation, you know, and I'm looking forward to maybe do more of those um, More of these in the future. So uh, yeah Yeah, man appreciate it again. I got something here. Yeah. Allah Mahak Sadiqi uh, Allah Mahak. It's been God be with you. May God be with you. Sadiqi is my friend. That's right, man You take care. God be with you. Appreciate yeah. this man. Maybe we can work out together yeah. in Algeria Never know Exactly well, you're more than welcome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Um, I've been thinking about that, like making something and inviting you over here in Algeria to experience what it's like to to live in here. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You're more than welcome, my friend. Sweet brother. Take it easy, Sadiki. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye.